0: Do you want a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi million dollar portfolio of cash flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life. And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. And today, I am with my good friend, Sterling Chapman, who's going deep about ways that you probably can make money that you don't even know that you can. It's probably things that you're already doing. And the riches are in the niches. And the riches are in the little things when the markets are good and great that you pass up. But when you look down, you're like, dude, those are a lot of dollars. I think I probably should pick them up. So we're going to delve into that. But before we do that, guys, a word from our sponsors. Are you ready to take your multifamily game to the next level and learn the amazing results of living the cash flow life? Apartment investing can change your life. I know for a fact it's changed mine. And I would like to share my extraordinary journey with you and the clues I've learned along the way by giving you my book, Copy Your Way to Success, for free. So text the word BOOK, B-O-O-K, to 480-500-1127. Again, that's the word BOOK, B-O-O-K, to 480-500-1127. And my team will ship it to you absolutely free as a way to say thank you for listening to this podcast. And remember, your paradise is possible. All right, we're back. Let's get into it. This is going to be a great show. Super excited about it. So, hey, Sterling, welcome to the show, brother.
1: Hey, thanks for having me again. Great to see you.
0: Awesome. So let's unpack. Before we do that, give me a brief background and kind of who you are, your story, and kind of what you got going on.
1: I'll give my background, Corey, and you're part of it and you don't even know it. I don't know that I've shared this story with you yet. And if you don't like it, you can edit it off, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So when I first heard about Corey Peterson, I wasn't a huge fan. And I'd never met you or anything to make that judgment. So please don't hold it against me. But when I first got into wanting to be a syndicator, I saw somebody on Facebook and they posted, hey, my syndication group is trying to find somebody who can help us raise capital. Like we're good at underwriting and this, but we need somebody to help us raise capital. It's like, oh man, I think I would like to go be part of that group. And when I got there, I think you had coached one of the girls in the group and I didn't like your deal structure. Like I didn't know anything, right? You had... However, many hundreds of million dollars worth of real estate, I'd never bought. You know what I mean? Who am I to judge? But I didn't. Our six and six method. I just didn't like it. I just wanted to give away more because I thought long term. And so I backed out of the group. And then years later, when I met you, I was like, Corey's actually one of my favorite people in the whole industry. <laughs> and he's probably the only one not bleeding to death right now on his model. <laughs> That's awesome. So that's my brief little Corey story that he probably didn't even know. But my story is I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Went to LSU for finance, MBA in finance. Went into insurance and investments right out of college. Sucked at it. Was super young, immature, drunk. Couldn't live on a straight commission to save my life. Gave up on it in my mid-20s. Went to go work for the cell phone industry. Did really well. Started getting promoted pretty aggressively through one of the top telecom companies in the country and thought that I was going to be the next CFO of that company. That was just always what I aspired to be. My dad was a big corporate man. Every You walk on TV, you see the guys in the suits on the jets, and that's what you want to be when you grow up. And I'd gotten to about, I think, around... 2017, when I was finishing up my MBA, I was taking an entrepreneurship class. I was like, man, I'd really love to be the boss. I'd really love to be in control and be my own thing. But I don't know how to do anything. Like, I worked for a telecom company, but I couldn't tell you how a phone works. I just wasn't smart enough to go start any business. But then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad like a week later, and I was like, oh, well, this seems like a really good idea. And I went to a local meetup and I saw multimillionaires that could not tie their shoes. The biggest idiots I ever met in my life that were just killing it and had tens of millions of dollars in real estate. And I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. And around that same time, and I think I told the story last time, but I was in the entrepreneurship class. My boss got surplus from that company. I didn't even know what a surplus was. I didn't know corporations just laid people off. The story you always heard is, hey, you go work for them for 30 years, they give you a gold watch and a pension. You know what I mean? Well, that's not how it works anymore. And I was like realizing at the time I was giving 80 hours a week to this company. I was like, they could turn off the bus at any time when I've got three kids in private school, a big mortgage, two car notes. Like I can't live like that. So I read Dave Ramsey told my girlfriend at the time, we're never ever going to have a credit card, never going to take debt. We're going to buy everything cash. She didn't give a shit. She said, yeah, whatever you want to do. I don't care. A week later, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, scratch that. We're going to do the exact opposite of everything I said (laughs) last week. She's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do. So I went and started buying single family houses while I had the job and we were getting married. We had a baby. I started a podcast. I was managing 26 properties. I don't have any construction background. I couldn't change a door. I bought a doorknob to change on the second rental property I bought. After 45 minutes of cussing, sweating, bleeding, I threw it in the yard and left and never tried to fix anything ever again. So people ask me that all the time, like, do you need to be handy to get in this? I was like, dude, you have no idea how unhandy I am. And from there, I just kept buying rental properties. And when I got to 26, I was completely overwhelmed managing these properties that I didn't know how to fix when shit went wrong. And so I read Joe Fairless's book on best ever apartment syndication. I was like, that's the answer. Third-party management, scalability, all the reasons that you invest in large multifamilies. And that's when I met that guy who brought me to the group and it didn't work out. And then a year and a half later, I finally got my first deal. And so the first one was that 54 unit in Noonan, Georgia, that same partner that introduced me to that group, introduced me to another group of partners. We really hit it off. And then we went and did another deal the next year. And we call it Charlotte. It's really South Carolina, but it's like 30 minutes from the Charlotte airport. And we got another one. in. Virginia. And then I've done marketing and capital raising and partners with some other larger groups in Texas and the Houston area. So that's kind of like the story that I've always told on my bio. But then 2023 happened and everything just kind of started going in 18 different directions, right?
0: Yeah. Because everything's changed, right? So like, listen, everybody was going and like, listen, there was a point in time where if you could be really shitty and sucky and you're going to make money.
1: Oh, dude, I had zero idea what I was doing making $100,000 a flip. Zero idea what I was doing. And I mean, it just all kind of turned on us. Like, I don't know if I covered that part of the story, but like in the process of buying 80 rentals, I also flipped like 30, 40 houses over the last couple of years. And like I said, when the rates went up like that aggressively, that fast, it just changed the market. And I mean, the market was already in a weird place, right? Because they'd been flooding it with money since 2008, right? Yep. We had to take our medicine. We should have taken it 10 years ago. Nobody wants to be the president that loses Vietnam. So everybody kicks the can down the road. Nobody wants the recession on their watch. So they just keep doing it. Well, now we're, it's hitting and it's hitting hard. And so the negative, as I'm sure a lot of you have seen, is on your bridge debt, on your apartment complexes, on your variable debt, you're screwed because it's through the roof and you're probably bleeding every month, right? On the rate caps, like what kind of rate cap did you get? I've heard people buying like 9% rate caps just so they can market that they have a rate cap. But what does that do for you? At 9%, your cash flow and negative every month. Like, great, you told your investors, we bought a rate cap, but like, seriously, like you need to buy a real rate cap if you're gonna buy a rate cap, keep it at like 5 so i have five. yeah so i mean there's a lot of that going on out there
0: hey by the way i gotta put this caveat on. so i always think about like i don't know how i got so lucky but i did right so i've only got one loan that i have no rate cap on right now and it's like 10 percent, and we're refining it in 60 days we've created so much value that we can refine thank god on the three other loans that i have that are bridge we have rate caps on them and Two of them have expiration dates to 2024, at the end of 2024. And I'm refining those three properties now. We're in the process. Two of them will be done in October. One will be in November, right? So those will be the last ones. But man, you want to talk about a gift because one rate caps, like they give me a statement of value, it's worth $800,000 right now. I bought it for $47,000. That's
1: crazy. When did you buy it?
0: A couple of years ago. So there was a three-year rate cap. Yeah. And I bought it at the right time. And then, of course, everything started going up right afterwards. So they've been paying for a while.
1: I mean, I want to say at this point, all of our business plans have changed. Well, maybe not the most recent. Well,
0: even ours. Ours have to. What we're going to talk about is really the whole emphasis of we're setting it up here, guys, because this is what I think a lot of people are having to adjust to is... certainly go continue on, my friend.
1: I mean, I'm getting there. You know, we're getting there. That's what the show's about. But just to kind of summarize all the pivots we've had to make in business plans, like the two Houston deals were not supposed to have a refi. They didn't have a refi baked into underwriting. We were supposed to sell those deals in three years. Now we're scrambling for a refi. The Virginia deal was our last acquisition. So it hasn't given us too much heartache, but like The 70-unit deal we have in Rock Hill, we were bleeding terribly. It has been an uphill battle with that. We're going to probably end up selling it way before we had anticipated. Our 45-unit in Georgia and Noonan, it was a great project. We returned over 100% of our investors' capital at like 18 months on the refi. Everything went swimmingly. The problem is it was like my first deal, so I only had like five investors in it, right? And so now, like, if you look at my other four, now that I'd got that traction and proof of concept and experience, I got a hundred investors in these other things. Like, I wish I'd had the hundred in the refi that went smooth.
0: Right. They're like, you're shitting the bet on everything we've invested in. Yeah. Right. They're like, come on. Now, you're not alone, by the way, right? Everybody that's in real estate and investing in the regular syndications on existing stuff, it's terrible. Yeah. The right word is terrible. Right. And it survived to 25.
1: Yeah. The last conference I went to, that was the mantra, staying alive till 25. Right. Correct me if you're wrong, because you have more experience and wisdom on this subject than me, but I think all of our apartment projects will be fine. Yeah, they're long term plays like none of these people are expecting to get their money back anytime sooner than five years. They might be irritated that they didn't get the full like on that Rock Hill deal. We underwrote, hey, we're going to do a 75 to 100% cash out refinance return of capital like 18, 24 months in. That's probably not going to happen anymore.
0: I already tell you the way you guys structure your deals are not the way Corey structures deals, by the way. Right. We all know this.
1: Well, and I want to have a longer talk with Corey about how he structures deals because I'm coming around. (laughs) But to get to the beat of like, man, what we thought was an important message to cover on this podcast is, again, the apartments, they'll be fine, right? Long-term, they'll be fine.
0: And I want to go back to that too, just for a second, right? Because, man, here's the biggest challenge most syndicators are making, in my opinion. This, you should set up your investors for a five to seven-year hold every time and every deal. Every time, every deal. For ones that are saying, oh, in three years, we're going to do this, you are setting yourself up for failure, right? in my opinion, right? Always had a longer term outlook, always, right? And the reason for that is you have a seven year horizon, you have enough time because, like you said, Sterling, times heals all wounds, right? And will heal all properties, by the way.
1: Here's my dilemma. This is kind of the difference between being Corey Peterson and Sterling Chapman. My dilemma is like in the early days, like where I am and I'm trying to make a name for myself and I'm trying to get investors. You know what I mean? Initially, this is why I didn't like your model.
0: The first deal has got to perform, right?
1: Yeah. But I mean, like the reason I didn't like your model, then I wanted to give away more. I wanted to do that. And I just... I don't know where I went sideways. But again, you're right. The long term, the apartments are going to be fine long term.
0: You're going to be fine. Yes
1: here's the thing. And maybe it was different back when you started because of your background. But when I started raising capital, it was friends and family and it wasn't accredited investors. Like I know in Scottsdale areas in New York city, the dog walkers make 200 grand a year, but in South Louisiana, I mean, we're dirt poor. The only people poorer than us is Mississippi. There's not a lot of millionaires or people that make 200 K plus around here. So it's like friends and family in these deals.
0: Here's my 50 grand. Make sure you do well with it. You're like, okay, We are, but you're going to have to wait a little bit longer.
1: Yeah. And it was just for me to try and raise capital early on when I had no experience that the prospect of the early refi, like the velocity of capital, basically. Our pitch was like, hey, we'll get you the money back early and you can redeploy it somewhere else and then it can be working for you multiple places at a time. Yep. But on the other side of the business, I know you don't spend a lot of time on the other side of the business, the single family side, but what we've done, because I got in trouble there. Got all these flips that I listed three months ago at 525 and are currently on the market at 405. I mean, I got haircuts across the board. So it's like, all right, how do we pivot here? Like, I'm always an investor. I'll always be an investor first. Crestworth Capital is an investment firm, Crestworth Property Management and Crestworth Construction are subsidies. But the whole ideology for me in this market is to create revenue streams that are not correlated with the market. I don't want to have to depend on a deal. You know what I mean? I want to be able to generate revenue. I think it makes me a better investor, not needing a deal.
0: 1,000%. And listen, every investor has to go through these market cycles, because what's the biggest lesson teacher, right? Success or failure and I'm not saying the failure, but like when your business plan doesn't work, you're like, okay, that business plan was a failure. We got to redo the business plan. And that's okay. But you learn milestones from it, right? You got to be willing to take the licks because none of us have a crystal ball. None of us knew that interest was going to go double. And the rapid pace, like, listen, it's unprecedented. Like, there's not any historical. That this is different, right? So from COVID where it was like printing money, all-time low interest rates. So then you've got to be flexible. And this is what we're going to get to is, so talk to me about where do you make money or where do you look?
1: Well, for me, first of all, nobody really likes a jack of all trades, right? They're not great at anything. They're just good at a bunch of different things. However, I think you could probably ignore that statement when you're in a very specific industry. If you're a real estate guy, not a realtor, but if you're like you and me, like a real estate deal guy, you got to know, or you should be pretty in tune to construction. You should be pretty in tune to property management. You know what I mean? And so to pour extra energy in those areas is not going to distract you from your core business because it's like a supplement to your core business. So that's why I decided to go that route and not become a personal trainer. You know what I mean? Like, but I've been building an audience for years, right? I have the podcast, the network, the local meetups, the conferences. So I've got the audience and the audience is all interested in real estate. And maybe a lot of people out there went and bought a bunch of rental properties and now they have to go back to work and they need somebody to manage them but honestly the reason i started the property management company like it's a great supplement to when we're in a crappy market but the reason i started the property management company is cuz i couldn't find a good one and being a center of influence in town around real estate investing once a week for the last 5 years i've gotten a phone call that says hey who's a good property manager in town and the answer is always oh none they all suck and then my property manager cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars out of sheer neglect. I had units sitting vacant, weren't even being cleaned or turned for four months at a time. So I was so disgruntled by that. And then there was such a need in the market and everything else was falling apart that I needed to create a new revenue stream. So it just all kind of made sense and came together. But so when I fired my old property manager, this is exactly how it went down. I was on my way to Houston to look at that deal within and I got my freaking $30,000 maintenance bill on properties I knew didn't need that much. And I fired him immediately and I hired a girl to come in my office. I got a 5,000 square foot office and she sits across the hall from me and we talk 20 times a day and like, I'm in control. And look, the first month she took over, we collected $15,000 more than we ever had in two and a half years. Yep and our expenses were a third. Same thing happened the next month. The third month, we decided to take on other people's properties. And just in a couple of months, we've already added, I want to say, five new owners. Some of those owners have anywhere from five to 15 houses. We have the network to grow it out. And then with the construction piece, I chose to do the construction second because... I feel like there's more liability there and maybe a little more complicated, and maybe I'll have to front more cash before the jobs are done type of thing. I mean, we got the resources. So really, we're just going to spend next quarter with the consultant.
0: These are the same guys that have been doing all your rehabs anyways, right? Yeah. So now you're just calling it, I'm the construction manager, and it also works alongside your property management company.
1: Right. We all work out of the same office. Yeah. It's getting set up real nice. It's like the trifecta three-in-one. There it is. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the way I picture it and the way I sell it and the way I say it is all of my revenue sources serve the same customer.
0: We're almost calling you Jesus, Sterling.
1: The busy professional that knows there's value in investing and owning real estate but doesn't have the time, energy, or interest in actively doing it. There's doctors that make a half million dollars a year. There's lawyers that make a half million dollars a year. There's all these people that make this money that have tax problems, that just know real estate's a great retirement plan or a good cash flow backup type of deal, but they just want the time bandwidth to get in it. So what we do, we'll manage your property for you. If you don't want direct ownership, you can invest passively in one of our apartment syndications. If you don't wait five years for your money back, you can do a promissory note with us. We'll pay you a great interest rate to borrow your money so we can flip houses with it. If you need us to go find you some rental properties, get them rent ready, fix them up, and then manage them for you and just do a true turnkey service for you. At the end of the day, like we're serving the same guy. Yeah, It's the successful go-getter high-income earner who's like, yeah, obviously real estate has benefits. It just doesn't make sense for me to quit my $600,000 a year job to go manage rental properties.
0: Yep. Truly. So that's the niches, right? Something you're already kind of in tune to. And listen, we did the same thing this year. We took over property management for all our apartment assets. And that's a big, big deal. Yeah, it's a revenue stream for sure. But it's, it's about
1: control.
0: That. it's control and it's cost savings. When you're managing the purse strings, it's already tight, and all of a sudden, when you take over and things get cheaper immediately, payroll got cheaper immediately. Same payroll, same people. but somehow, when I took it over, my cost to do payroll and everything associated with it went down. I wonder how that is, because maybe they bake extra cost in there, right?
1: Sure they do. <laughs> Our intention when I started the property management company, because I'm in South Louisiana, of course, Louisiana has shit economics and shit politics, and we're never going to buy $10 million apartment complexes in Louisiana, right? So when we started the property management company, the three-year vision was like-
0: You sure about that? I got one in down that I want to sell you.
1: Is it a good deal? I'll look at it.
0: It will be in about four more months, right? It got hit by Hurricane Ida.
1: I'd rather buy it before you fix it up
0: yeah are you serious? Yeah, I have a problem in slide ninety two units
1: once we get offline. Just dive into it. <laughs> I'm so excited. I' knocked me off of my thought train. <laughs> I mean, our intention was to basically. Burn our bones down here in South Louisiana, right? Yeah. I've got the network. And I mean, people are lined up for me to manage their single family houses and duplexes and fourplexes. Yeah. I'm going to build that out, get to about 2,000 doors down here. We wanted to start expanding into the multifamily space. Like My lead property manager, the girl that I hired that basically I'm making my CEO of that company, She's got 15 years experience in large multifamily. Like I hired her from, I forget the name of the company, but it's like an asset living. So she was running 350 unit apartments. They
0: suck, by the way.
1: Yeah. No, we just fired them off one of our Houston deals. I probably shouldn't have said that on the air, but- That's right. Well, from my understanding, it all depends on the regional. Yeah. They've got great ones and poor Listen, ones.
0: I don't want to badmouth them. We no longer use them in all our properties. So they were managing all our assets.
1: Yeah. I've heard a few people, I've heard of a few big wigs. Here's our stick. Yeah. Here is the elevator pitch on Cressworth property management is better than all the other management companies. With the caveat of we don't have the multifamily experience yet. So that's on the agenda. But the reason we're better is A, we're overstaffed. The reason property management companies suck is because they try and do too much with too little every single time. If you get a good property management company, it was great when we started with them, but then they blew up and they couldn't keep up with all the properties and they turned terrible.
0: The regionals are on too many properties. Right. Sometimes they have like seven or eight, nine properties. They're managing big ones.
1: And the reason they do that is obviously the margins are so small on property management. But what we have, which differentiates us, is we have all of these resources because of our other businesses. I've got a guy that sits in this office right here that manages all of my flips, but he also manages all of my turns. So I'm like using resources. I got a marketing guy who does all of my investor relations stuff. But he also helps out with the property management. We had 27 field guys, 27 Hispanics that have worked for nobody but Sterling Chapman for five straight years. And like they're probably about to leave if I can't get more work for them because I'm not buying single family houses to flip in this environment. Right. I mean, the call I was on before this was my partner call for our three deals. And we'd considered chipping my guys up there. I mean, they can do it. They can do it cheaper and better than the people were are hiring.
0: Yeah, there you go. Finding solutions, really, that's the name of the game, right? I think And anything that I've seen right now is those who are the most able to pivot and lean up, mm-hmm. right? And then find cost savings. And if you can make an income stream around it as well, all the more, the better, right? And I think that's the dollars that I was alluding to earlier is that you walk right past it. For the longest time, I said, Sterling, I would never be a property manager. I would never be in the business, right? I thought that was taboo. And I felt like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do it. I felt like a Godfather movie. I'm like, man, as soon as I get out, they bring me back in.
1: Yeah.
0: But the moment that I did Hold oh,
1: no, on, you own the company. You don't do it, right? No. Like, I don't talk to tenants or even owners for that matter.
0: No, no. I have a whole vertical, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, one of my things that I'm passionate about is the people, right? So, yeah. I am responsible for Hiring my top people, right? My leaders. Yeah. And then they're hiring all the property staff, right? Yeah, sure. But man, I'll tell you, it's one of my favorite things to do. One of the best decisions that I feel like I've ever made in this business for 18 years was this year creating a management company.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to be a really good idea. I think it's going to work out well. I'm really glad we did it. I'm just curious to see how it goes. I would love if you don't mind, if you have any type of Stuff you could share with me offline about that transition from single family to multifamily, because that's the direction we're going.
0: Amen. Yeah, you'll get there sooner than you think, right? Truly, right? Like, there's really not that much more difficult. It's just having the right subs in the marketplace, right? Again, it's people, contractors, and subs, and really staffs. A lot of property management people suck is when they are hiring they're hiring all the wrong people that's what we suffered from a lot of they're like okay well we got a maintenance guy i'm like well is the hvac certified well no i'm like why not why hire a maintenance supervisor that doesn't have his hvac well we're just going to hire a third-party vendor like why would you do that no
1: they're so expensive that
0: makes no sense we can't find anybody what do you mean you can't find anybody right that's why i like well they're just not going to be trying to be resourceful. And like, if you're really having a hard time finding HVAC people, guess who trains HVAC people? There's always a college or community college or some type of place where they go to learn. And those ITI. are the ones. Yeah. You go make friends with those people and they'll give you all their recruits coming out. That's exactly where you find them. Like, that's the skill set you want. And most of those guys that can do that can change a faucet and do any, some other stuff, right? Like, this is not rocket science, but I'm like, God bless. Have we made friends with this place? Well, no, Do you think about it. Lord help me, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, bro. So we just decided, like, screw it. I think this is true about all entrepreneurs, Sterling, is that resourcefulness is the key. And that's why we're ultimately successful is when markets change, you have to be resourceful enough to say, okay, the cheese has moved. Okay, what well, I need to pivot how do I need to pivot? Where do I need to get lean? Where's other revenue streams? Where's there other opportunities? How do I capitalize on the opportunities? As entrepreneurs, that's the job. Protect the money.
1: Absolutely. I love that book, Who Moved My Cheese? That was the first book that was given to me at my first major job. I bring it up every time somebody starts whining about like they changed the comp plan. Hey man, who moved my cheese? Where's it at?
0: Yeah. If you don't move, you're going to be stuck. <laughs> like that's the one consistent in life is change. Once you accept it, once you know that that's the recipe, then you're like, okay, so what? I'm adaptable. I'm a free thinker. I'm not tied. You can't be a victim. Playing the victim is BS. And I see too many people do it, by the way.
1: Oh, dude, it's insane. Right? Although I did want to finish the sentence about what differentiates Crestworth Property Management from our competitors. One is the resources, right? Like the main thing that makes them suck, we got too many people and not enough houses. We have a crew of 27 construction workers that have been used to rehabbing 10 houses at a time for the last three years, and they're not going to have any work today. So like we got the people and that makes a huge difference. I mean, we had six administrative people in the office. Just on currently, I think we're managing under 150 units, like my 80 plus whatever new And we've got six people in the office. We got a lead property manager, an assistant property manager, a leasing agent, an office manager, a marketing director, project manager. Like We're going to do a better job because we have the staff, we have the support. The other thing is my primary business, the way you and I met and my long term is raising capital and buying apartment complexes. And that requires a tremendous amount of trust and character in a person. So I am not going to do a shitty job. Like I can think of my last property management, man, I wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. He did such a terrible job and cost me such hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I would never recommend him to anybody.
0: It's usually disgusting, right? Usually the reason you're leaving is disgusting. You just get to that point for us to break the pack.
1: But you know what? He probably did the best he could, or he probably didn't even realize he was doing anything bad. Yeah. But I will never be that guy because I got a capital company. My long-term vision, my long-term dream, I'm raising millions of dollars from people I don't know to buy apartment complexes. If they get wind that I'm a shitty property manager, I don't take care of my tenants, or I don't communicate well with my owners, that kills my core business. I just won't do it. I'd have just as soon not opened a property management company.
0: Great kudos, man. So listen, as we move forward and we wrap this up, Great stuff, by the way. That was good mojo, right? Like we went over a lot. We really did go over a lot. How do people find you?
1: Well, my understanding from my marketing director is they can find me anywhere. I don't go to a lot of these places, but apparently I'm on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Facebook is where I personally interact. So like if you're sending me Instagram messages and I ignore you, it's not because I ignored you. It's because I just don't look at it. Facebook messages. I'm pretty responsive. I'm a pretty open book. My phone number and email address is on all my websites. It's 225-247-5562. And my email address is sterling at com. But I mean, we're everywhere. I got a podcast, the Rent Roll Radio Show. Corey's been on it with a lot of other bigwigs like himself. He's about to come on it again. I recommend you watch both episodes because the one he did back then was great for that current environment. And this is just a totally different show because we're in a totally different world. And me and Corey have both pivoted in different ways since the last one. So, but yeah, you can find me anywhere, man.
0: Awesome. Any advice to anybody that's just starting out in the multifamily section? What advice would you give them knowing what you know now?
1: Man, I guess it really just depends on what resources they're coming in with. And one thing, one lesson I learned the hard way is a lot of times people market and present themselves. And look, I'm not knocking anybody because some of these are stand up guys. They just didn't have all the info. When you're marketing a deal, when you're marketing returns, when you're marketing depreciation, when you're marketing distributions, you got to be very, very careful that like what you say happens, right? Like there's things you can't control and nobody's going to hold that against you, right? But just because somebody that's very prominent on Facebook or something and you see everywhere and he's working with everybody, that doesn't necessarily mean like, don't let other people vet your partners. Man, I hope he doesn't hear this. We had a partner on our first deal and some seemed off. Some just seemed real off. But I knew he had worked with another partner, friend of mine. So I called him up and I said... Hey, man, I'm about to work with this dude. I know you told me you worked with him. Like, something seems off. What's going on here? And he just said, man, he's got a really weird personality and this and that, but he's legit. His family's got money. So we did it. Been working with him. I mean, he's missed 90% of our meetings. He lost his phone five times in the last two. You know what I mean? And those are two different stories. Like, Just bet your partners really well. You know what I mean? Like one thing that I thought was cool, I don't do it, but I thought it was cool. That first guy that introduced me to the group where they wanted me to do your model within like 10 minutes of meeting or messaging with me, he sent me a background report on himself. He said, Hey, the last person I talked to about partnering wanted to background check me just to make sure I'm on the up and up. And I just wanted to share that with you. So, you know, my history, I thought that was a really cool thing to proactively offer.
0: Yeah. Know that partner, dude. Like that's a big one, right? And this is why I always say too, by the way, do deals. Don't do partnerships, right? right? You can get into a partnership on a deal and if that deal goes great, you can do another deal with them.
1: I don't have the same partners on any of my deals.
0: Yeah. There you go.
1: There's three guys that I'm on three different deals with, but there is somebody different. Like none of those five deals have the exact same partners. And you're right. I preach it all the time. Like do a deal by deal. It's really the deal that matters, right? Like what does the deal need? Does the deal need a signer?
0: Yep. What value are you bringing to the deal? Cool. Well, listen, I want to thank you again for taking the time to come in on this show. Guys, this is where you get the raw good stuff. I'm telling you, you got to like, share, put us on blast, man. Get this thing out there because I'm telling you, no other podcast do I know that we share it as we do on this one. We do the good, bad, and the ugly. And it's always very real. It's always very palatable. People like Sterling that brings in the light of like, it's not always sunsets and palm trees. There's adversity that comes in the marketplace and how you deal with it matters. And understanding that you could be walking over dollars, just like Sterling identifies some profit sources that are right there. And so he's going to capitalize on it and he should. Guys, Listen, success doesn't happen by accident. It is a choice, right? And it really starts with a dream and a vision and a pursuit to that goal. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is absolutely possible.